Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. iHeartMedia West Michigan Weekend, a public affairs program. Welcome in to another edition of iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend on this iHeartMedia radio station. I'm Phil Tower, pleased to uh, be with you in this segment. Did you know January is National Mentoring Month? It is. In fact, mentoring makes a big difference in a lot of folks' lives. And here to tell us more about that, uh, somebody who is directly involved and the folks over at DA Bludges St. John's Home, Sabrina Menarek, is a lead specialist with DA Bludges St. John's Home here in Grand Rapids. How are you? Good. How are you? So in terms of uh, what you do as a lead specialist, you want to tell those listening kind of what your role is in this? Yeah, so over at work, I do a lot of things. We have a young moms program specifically Mm -hmm. is what I oversee, and I interview volunteers who are interested in being in that program, as well as go out to potential clients home and see if they would be a good fit for our program. Yeah. You know, I heard about this at the uh, the gala mm-hmm. that Dave Blodgett St. John's Home does uh, every November, which is an amazing event. Quick plug for that. Um, it was real eye-opening because I heard one of these mentor moms talk about how meaningful it was to yes. be involved. But you carefully screen these moms. I mean, Correct. somebody can say, hey, I'd like to do that, but you need to make sure it's a good fit for these young mothers, right? Yeah, exactly. So we, um, it's a very long screening process, and we really want to just match people based on personality, maybe similar goals that one mom has. Maybe a volunteer is like, oh, I do that for a living, so it's really easy for me. Um, Just want to make the best matches that we are able to. Now, I'm of the understanding you have 70 boys and 20 girls waiting to be mentored. Yes, that's correct. That's a lot. It's a little overwhelming. But it's important. And you you know what? I'm just going to be opinionated. You You can do all kinds of things volunteering. You can pick up trash. You can stuff envelopes. I can't think of a more powerful thing to do, Sabrina, than mentor a young person, man or woman. Yeah, I agree. It's super simple, too. We only require you to see whoever you're matched with a total of six to eight hours a month. So I know a lot of people kind of get scared with, ooh, what's the time commitment going to be? It's very, very doable. We just ask that you see um, whoever you're matched with at least twice a month. So you could break it down to three or four hours each time you visit. And it's yeah. So easy to do. Well, and you know what? That's not too hard to to do because if you think about that, a lot of us probably spend six to eight hours a month just staring at our iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why not replace that with a more impactful, more meaningful thing? And and really, um, you're looking at okay, seventy boys, twenty girls. There are literally thousands of people listening to us right now, so the appeal is out there. Sabrina is appealing to you, and maybe maybe your spouse, or maybe you have somebody uh, that you know that would be perfect for this. Maybe somebody who's recently an empty nester mm-hmm. uh, and has successfully raised a number of kids. This is maybe something that would fit very in well for them. Fit very well for them. I'm going to give the website first: dabsj.org. Dabsj.org is 
the website. And in terms of just simply what the next step is, Sabrina, if they're listening to us, they're like, yeah, I could handle this. Six to eight hours a month. I would love to mentor a young woman. This is a, a young woman who's had an unplanned pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Correct. What age is roughly? Oh, we go through the age of 25 for our Young Moms program. But if you're interested in being a community-based mentor, it's mentoring at-risk children between ages of 10 and 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So all different levels yes. in terms of that. Yep. That doesn't mean all 20 of those women are expecting a child. Correct. Okay. Some already have children. Okay. Very good. And again, the next step is what? What should they do? Yeah, go on to our website, again, dabsj.org. You can click on the mentoring tab, and there is a place to inquire to be a volunteer. Once you fill out your information, you will get an automatic email that kind of tells you um, what each program entails. Um, And then one of our coworkers will get your information and contact you to set up a time for you to come to our orientation. We have those once a month. So, right. yeah. and, and the other thing is you've got uh, an orientation, speaking of that, one in January, one in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one, just a few days away, we're talking on January 20th. The next one is January 24th at 530 and also in February, February 27th at 530. And all the details to RSVP, D-A-B-S-J dot O-R-G. We're talking with the lead specialist from Saint, D.A. Blodgett, St. John's Home, uh, Sabrina Manaric. And one of the other things I wanted to talk about before we ran out of time is bull for kids' sake. This has been going on forever. I actually uh, bulled in this one year and made a fool of myself, but that's that was another story. It's a fun event, and this is one of your big fundraisers, yeah, right? Yeah, it's one of our biggest fundraisers of the year. Um, it's a great time. Come out and bowl. You can make a team of five people. This year is nice. 90s theme, so dress in your 90s gear. You get to, okay. it's everywhere, so it shouldn't be that hard these days. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, watching net, the Netflix and get, giving stuff away to Goodwill, so now's the perfect time to get ready for it. But yeah, you can come out and bowl, and it's a great fundraiser for us. And this is uh, in March. Give us the date. Yes. March 8 is one session from 6 to 8.30 p.m., and the Saturday, March 9, from 12 to 2. All right. And I I understand as well, besides putting a team together, you would really love to have some folks come in and sponsor at any number of levels. They're very affordable levels all the way up to if you want to, you know, uh, be a, a big sponsor and sponsor multiple teams or maybe even be a presenting sponsor. And the other thing you need, Sabrina, is you just need uh, simple prizes like gift cards, uh, movie passes, things like that. You really are in need of those for this event. Yeah, exactly. So if you have any raffle items that you would be willing to give to us, we um, sell a bunch of raffle tickets and people are so happy to walk away with prizes. So anything that you have as a business or if you like to craft and you think it would be something that somebody needs to have, we would love love for you to give that to us. All right. This is on March 8th and 9th. And again, it's 90s themed. Uh, Give us a hint. 90s themed. So what's an obvious 90s theme? Saved by the Bell. Okay. That's a big thing. Yeah, there you go. 90s (laughs) hip hop. (laughs) Okay. I totally get it. So if you want to go as Vanilla Ice, that would be totally cool. (laughs) And anything else like that. March 8th and 9th. And again, to get more information on Bull for Kids' Sake. It's a lot of fun. And you can enter multiple teams, right? Yeah, you can. You can have as many teams as you want. D-A-B-S-J.org. D-A-B-S-J.org. Bull for, or you can just type in Bull for Kids' Sake, West Michigan. And I'm sure it will 
take you to all the information you need to know. Real quickly, in our final moments or so, uh, back to the mentoring. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of six to eight hours, how long does that go on? I mean, is it pretty much determined by you and the person you're mentoring, or or how long does that typically run? Yeah, so we ask for a year commitment. Um, That's just a good time to be in somebody's life. Um, We know that there are a lot of life changes in some of these people's lives, so it may be shorter. And I know a lot of people will go past a year, so it's really good stuff. I would bet a lot of these people have, this becomes a lifelong friendship. Oh, yeah. I know somebody who has been like, I've been with my person for 20 years. So people have been in weddings, people go to the hospital to see their babies that they have. It's, it makes a huge impact. Okay. Again, this is a really cool thing. And January is National Mentoring Month. And really, it should be every day, every month of the year. But you can you can become involved. There is an immediate need now. So if you're hearing me and hearing Sabrina, you want to log on to the website, dabsj.org, and check out the mentoring needs. 70 young men, 20 young women who have an immediate need for that. Uh, and you can make a difference today. So let's talk in another six months and see how this is going, okay? Sounds great. Thank you. Sabrina Minerick is a lead specialist with DA Blodgett St. John's Home here in Grand Rapids with us on this edition of iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend. There's more coming up in just a moment. A shark took her arm, but not her teenage desire to be a surfing champ. So next time life puts a little fear in you, just think of Bethany Hamilton hanging 10 on top of a heavy wave. That's real courage. Pass it on. From the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. And this is iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend on this iHeartMedia radio station. My name is Phil Tower. I'm the program director here at Wood Radio in Grand Rapids. And what an honor it is in this segment to talk with Dr. Murray Howe. He is, uh, as you may know, Gordy Howe's youngest son. He's also head of the Sports Medicine Imaging Program for Toledo Radiological Associates and ProMedica Health System Sports Care Program in Toledo. He's an associate clinical professor at uh, University of Toledo Medical Center. He also serves as on the U of M Medical School Admissions Committee. He has four decades of experience as a keynote speaker across Canada and the U.S., speaking on all kinds of things, including sports medicine, health, wellness, and, of course, hockey. Dr. Murray Howe, it is an honor and pleasure to welcome you to the program. Well, thank you so much for for having me on, Phil. You know, this is a book I'm sure you've been wanting to write for some time. The book is, of course, Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father. This is beyond just Gordie Howe, the hockey legend. This is father lessons. And tell me a little bit about the idea for the book. When did you know you wanted to write it? You know, uh, in uh, June of 2016, when uh, my dad passed away, I woke up a few days uh, uh, after that on Father's Day morning, and I just felt crushed that I couldn't hug my dad and talk to my dad. And I always, Father's Day was really big with me. I always took my dad out to do some fun stuff that he really loved to do and really let him know how much I uh, appreciated him being my father. And So the fact that I couldn't do that, I said, what can I do for him? What can I still give him even though he's not with me in body anymore? And I thought, what would be better than to just put down on paper all that he stood for and all that he meant to me as a father and uh, as as a man and just help give uh, uh, keep his spirit alive and and uh, uh, carry on his legacy of, of of kindness and generosity 
Well, as I understand it, uh, a lot of the inspiration for the book, if if not most of it, came from writing the eulogy for your father. Is that correct? Yes, the the eulogy it, it uh, was born out of um, my my siblings not wanting to do any public speaking. <laughs> hey, Murray, will you be... do it? We don't want to do exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. that's exactly right. And and uh, it would have taken a team of horses to stop me from from uh, speaking about my father because I adored him so much. And I felt like I knew him so well, and I really felt like I could do him justice just in terms of I, I knew what really was important to him, and so I really wanted to emphasize Gordie Howe, the man, in, in, in the eulogy. So in just kind of putting that together, that crystallized for me exactly what an amazing person he was and, and how many beautiful traits he had and, and how great it would be to be able to share those, you know, with, with everybody. We're speaking with Dr. Murray Howe, Gordy Howe's youngest son, uh, author of a just-released book, Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father. This is going to be for a hockey fan or just somebody who admires significant figures in our lifetime and everybody from... Uh, baby boomers to millennials, really. If if you live in Michigan, you grew up in Michigan or in the Midwest, you, you're familiar with the name Gordie Howe and Mr. Hockey. Um, I'm really pleased to mention that as we're talking today, Sunday, November 12th, uh, Dr. Murray Howe will be appearing tonight uh, as a part of the National Writer Series at the Traverse City Opera House, 7 p.m. This is a wonderful event put on by uh, Doug Stanton and the, the team at the National Writer Series. And you'll be interviewed by radio host Ron Jolly in front of a live audience. You got to be kind of excited about this. I can't wait. I hope everybody comes out. I really believe it's just going to be a very beautiful, moving uh, night. I'm going to be showing a very special, rare video uh, footage of my father, uh, as well as having a, a talk and a Q&A, doing a reading. And uh, it should be very intimate. And uh, I think everybody that goes, I think, will come away inspired. Yeah. And if you're interested in attending, it, listening to us on this Sunday morning, and you have a free Sunday night, by all means, make the drive to Traverse City. The book is just out and it's available anywhere books are sold and there's a great bookstore in downtown Traverse City uh, that his name is escaping me and I'll think of it before too long but uh, available just about any place that books are sold. The book is Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father Dr. Murray Howe with us on this segment of iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend. You talk about an ordinary goodness in terms of those lessons you learned from from your father, Gordie Howe. Uh, Can you explain that to us? What what you mean by ordinary goodness? Well, he he (laughs) He really was, he had so many incredible traits that all kind of came together, but they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're simple traits. They're traits that I think are easy for all of us to em- embrace, but we don't always, we don't always employ them. Uh, he, his patience, he was just so, he was the most patient man I've ever met. I never saw him raise his voice once in his entire life. And I can't think of another individual that, you know, was like that. It's just such a just such a remarkable quality and something that I still aspire to. <laughs> Each time I raise my voice, I say, oh, gosh. <laughs> and uh, But it was really remarkable, and it just kind of showed that, that you don't need to raise your voice to, 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 to uh, make a large impact on people. Um, he just commanded respect by being so good at everything that, uh, you know, that he did. Uh, his humility was so remarkable because he was 
one of the, the, the world's greatest athletes of all time, and yet you would never know from talking to him that he thought of himself as anything more than just you know a regular person. And uh, he always said, "Don't read your own press clippings; you'll start to believe them." Yeah. And it's and it's a great it's a great way to live that you you don't need to elevate yourself. You just you do the best that you can do and allow people to just see that goodness. Nine lessons I learned from my father, Dr. Murray Howe, with us. Gordy Howe's youngest son. He will be appearing at the Traverse City Opera House tonight, November 12th at 7 p.m. I want to ask you a personal thing uh, you talk about in the book, at the beginning of the book, which I really have enjoyed reading so far. You talk about when you kind of figured you were not going to be the hockey great that your dad was, even even a quarter of the hockey great. And you, you know, And obviously you found medicine. You've had a very successful career. What was that like, going through that experience? It all came together with when I got cut from Michigan's hockey team, I had pretty much dedicated my life to being a pro hockey player, just as, as my brothers were and, and my dad. And, and I never envisioned doing anything else in life. And uh, so I got cut from Michigan as a, as a freshman walk-on. And it, 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 it was a crushing blow, really, for me. And I, I so so much so that I couldn't wish the, the other players uh, good luck. I had to just write it on the board and then just walk out the, mm. the, the door and uh, and into a brave new world and I'm thinking what <laughs> what's next so I went back to my dorm and I called my parents and they just said well thank God we don't have to worry about you anymore and so that huh. took all the pressure yeah. off and it, it helped me to realize that they didn't care what I did they just said you know you you follow your dreams and your passions we just want you to be happy and so that was just that was just a fantastic you know message message and gift to me that that I was freed to really be who who I wanted to be. We're talking with Dr. Murray Howe, author of Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father, the memoir just out. And uh, by the way, the, the bookstore in Traverse City, where you can get it if you're headed up to the uh, Traverse City Opera House tonight for uh, Dr. Murray Howe's conversation, part of the National Writers Series, is Horizon Books, right on Front Street in downtown Traverse City. I want to mention that's a great local bookstore. Um, I, I hope we'll see you in Grand Rapids, uh, Murray Howe. It would be a real honor and pleasure to to meet you, and I know you'll be making many appearances on behalf of your book, Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father. We thank you so much for the time. Well, thank you, Phil. It was absolutely a pleasure to, to, to speak with you, and yes, I hope I do get to uh, Grand Rapids. I, I love meeting all the fans and really, really enjoy that. Certainly have a lot of them here in West Michigan. He is Dr. Murray Howe, Gordy's youngest son and head of the Sports Medicine Imaging Program for Toledo Radiological Associates and ProMedica Health System Sports Care Program. With us on this edition of iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend. Brooke Ellison is a surprising person. I've been paralyzed from the neck down and on a ventilator. Tomorrow, I will graduate from Harvard. Determination. Pass it on. From the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Welcome in. This is iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend on this iHeartMedia radio station. My name is Phil Tower, and the program director of Wood Radio here in Grand Rapids. And in this segment, it's my pleasure to welcome WMU Cooley Law School Associate Dean and retired Brigadier General Michael McDaniel. He's joining us to talk about what it means to declare a national state of emergency. President Trump uh, has been on and off about this over the last several weeks regarding the government shutdown 
down and specifically uh, what he f- refers to as a humanitarian crisis at the border. Uh, Dean McDaniel, first of all, thank you for being with us. I, I, I'm, I'm torn whether to call you General, uh, Brigadier General McDaniel or Dean. Is it okay for the sake of our conversation we call you Dean McDaniel? Absolutely, Phil. Great to be on your show. Well, it's an honor and pleasure to speak with you. Um, Thank you for your service at the Pentagon. You served as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Homeland Defense. I'm really grateful this opportunity to talk about you because, you know, as somebody who works in the media, you hear terms thrown about so much and and so many times as uh, professional communicators at at the television or, or radio level or whatever level the message is being disseminated to an audience, we make assumptions the audience knows what that means. And I would dare say that there are a, a very large number of people who really don't, do not understand what it means to declare a, st- a national state of emergency. And what I was also surprised to learn, uh, Dean McDaniel, was that this law is relatively new. It's only been around for some 40 years. That's correct. Uh, as you said, Phil, uh, 1976, uh, Congress presumably acting to perceived abuses by the Nixon administration, um, in Cambodia and Laos, uh, passed the National Emergencies Act. It's a, it was an attempt by Congress to uh, sort of limit the president's ability to declare an emergency, um, but it doesn't really do that. What it does is create a process which the president has to follow, and the 50 or so times it's been used since 1976, all presidents have declared uh, or have followed that process when they've declared an emergency. And from what I've been able to glean uh, from my research on this is uh, states of emergency have been declared for all kinds of reasons, for for trade reasons, you know, for embargoes with countries. Uh, I also know that uh, more recently, President Obama declared a national state of emergency during the H1N1 uh, flu concern, which was really a global concern, as I recall. That's correct. So... Uh, you raise you raise a couple good points there. If I could expound on them first, yes. um, the National Emergencies Act does not define what an emergency is, and I think that was absolutely intentional. I think that Congress realized that while they were uh, either uh, um, delegating power to the president or recognizing power that the president believed he had. No matter which way they were thinking about this, there was at least a strong recognition that you cannot conceive what a future emergency might be, and that discretion has to be left to the executive branch of government, to our our chief executive, as we say. Uh, Secondly, you point out that there's all these different categories. So some of those, those that involved economic sanctions overseas, uh, some of those are still in place today. I mean, the first one was by Jimmy Carter back in 1979 against the Iranians based upon the hostage crisis, uh, which put economic sanctions on uh, Iran. And that's still in place because the, the, the law, the National Emergencies Act, says that a president can renew it annually. And so every president has done so to continue those sanctions on the Iranians. Those uh, emergencies which have been declared by the chief executive, which are internal uh, domestic uh, usually uh, have a pretty, you know, the president realizes there has to be an end date to those. But but economic sanctions, there's a number of these uh, emergencies that have been in effect for many, many, many years as a result of that. As I'm understanding at the moment, a president declares a national state of emergency. 
He has a, a very large number of special provisions available to him, many of those which would sti- sidestep normal laws. Is that actual uh, you know, is that actual fact, I should ask? Sure, except I don't want to use the word sidestep, Phil. I mean, Congress, of course, has its greatest function is the power of the purse. It's in charge of spending on behalf of us, the citizens. So they are delegating the power to spend to the president in an emergency when an emergency is declared by the president. But the president has to say in that emergency declaration, in the National Emergencies Act, he has to say he's declaring an emergency, and then he has to declare which authorities he is using that have been delegated to him by Congress. So uh, to use the example that we were talking about before with economic sanctions against foreign countries, he's got to use the International Economic uh, Sanctions Act, and I forget the exact title of that, and he's got to specify that. Uh, in this case, we can have a debate over you know, what would possibly be used to build or to construct a wall uh, but whatever it is, he's got to specify in that emergency declaration. He's putting con- Congress on notice that he has taken these delegated powers and he's using them uh, in this way. And then Congress has the ability to respond. You know, Congress can, by a joint resolution, sort of, you can't call it a veto, but they can, they can rule against it. They can withdraw this delegation, uh, if you will, that they give to the Congress. But, I mean, that would require a supermajority. That would require two-thirds of both houses because you'd have to make it veto-proof. So if the president has a, a specific sanction for us that he's going to use, a specific section of the law they wants to put in place to respond to a, a certain emergency, which he's identified consistent with the National Emergencies Act, it's pretty difficult then for Congress, unless they can muster a two-thirds vote, for, uh, to, to stop that emergency. We're speaking with WMU Cooley Associate uh, Dean and retired Brigadier General Mike McDaniel on iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend. I want to ask you, if, if a national state of emergency is declared by President Trump or any president, are there any means to challenge it uh, in a court of law or other means to challenge it once it's been declared? Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you made that distinction, Phil. So Congress may not be able to do much other than muster a two-thirds vote, uh, but you can still have a judicial challenge to the, the emergency. Now, let me be clear. I don't believe Congress is ever going, that, excuse me, that the courts are going to say that something doesn't constitute an emergency. Because there's no emergency, I think the court definition in the National Emergencies Act, I think that the courts, which are going to defer on these kind of policy decisions, or strategic decisions to the other two politically active uh, branches of government, the courts are going to say it is not our role to second-guess the president in what he perceive, he or she perceives to be a time of uh, a time of emergency. They could, they could, uh, while the emergency continues, though, uh, accept a challenge and consider whether or not the president is correctly using the power delegated to him by Congress. So you can have an emergency declaration, but the bigger question, and that's not going to be challenged, but what could be challenged, and the bigger question for the president then is, how do I implement? You know, what laws can I use? If I think I need to build a a border wall, uh, he said early on, a thousand miles of border wall, if you're going to do that, then what power, what, what checkbook can he go to to find the money to do so? And I think that that can be challenged as well as the process itself can be challenged. Uh, by the way, the, the, the instruction. 
Okay, thank you. Pardon me. Uh, he is on the record as of, I think it was Tuesday of, of this past week, Tuesday the 15th. He said, I'm not looking to call a national emergency. This is what he said, uh, according to a transcript of a conversation with reporters on Monday the 14th. This is so sh- simple, you shouldn't have to do it. Um, however, uh, the vice president said the very next day that they were looking into the possibility of an emergency declaration and that many of the president's allies were urging him to go ahead with one. So not only do we know that the, the president certainly has the power to do this, it can often become political. Yes, I think absolutely it would become political. Uh, again, because you have to involve con- Congress has to have some oversight. They will be involved. And, um, you know, by definition, it then becomes political when Congress is involved. And that's one of its roles is to sort of represent the majority of the people through our representatives. Been a very interesting discussion. And, and uh, I guess, as history will say, we'll have to wait, wait it out and see what happens uh, next. WMU Cooley Law School Associate Dean, also retired Brigadier General Mike McDaniel. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for your time, sir. Anytime, Phil. I've enjoyed it. And you've been listening to this edition of iHeartMedia's West Michigan Weekend on this iHeartMedia radio station. iHeartMedia West Michigan Weekend, a public affairs program. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.